For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Life in the Red podcast. Luke Mullen here as usual. Today, joined by the return of Jordan McAlpine. The, gr- the grand return. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Your fans, your fans have been calling for it. They keep blowing up my DMs. They're saying, where's Jordan? I, I can't blame them. The, the, the sink didn't ship too much the first time, so let's run it back this time, right? Absolutely. Well, we, we had to bring you on, of course, to get your insight um, on the hoops. Very busy hoop season underway. And in that regard, it's just a very busy time for Nebraska athletics in general. Football recruiting trail, we'll touch on that here at the end of the episode. Uh, basketball, wrestling's going on too, by the way. Uh, but of course, today, as we record this, the end of the road for the volleyball team, uh, end in the Sweet 16, lost to Oregon in five sets, which was a, a great match, by the way, but a little bit heartbreaking because they, they had their chances to kill it off in the fourth set. Well, and especially with the expectations of this group, yeah. I mean, right up the road with it being in Omaha this year for the, uh, the, the end of the road, I guess you could say, comes up short for them and you take it to five sets, obviously. Heart, like you said yourself, it's heartbreaking. They go on that run there at the end, too little, too late. And I know uh, deep down for John Cook and that group, I don't know if I'd go as far to say, dis- obviously it is disappointing. It's yeah. not, not a, a lost year by any means with it. You go to the Sweet 16 again, you have the success they do. I want to say they lost six times during the year total, but obviously falling short of where this group wants to. And it'll be an interesting offseason to see where they go from here. So Yeah, I think it's kind of a, a testament to how spoiled they are with success, you know, the Nebraska volleyball program that Sweet 16 is like, uh, you know, crash that out of the tournament. Like, I mean, for, for pretty much any other program, that's a great year. So you, you talk about the difference of standards in the athletic department where you got one program just trying to make it back to a bowl game and you got another one that's not happy with making it to the Sweet 16. I guess uh, that's all she wrote for how it's going right yeah, now. So. That's, why, that's why people say it's a volleyball school yeah. now. So, uh, but definitely want to want to jump to hoops because this will be a, Big part of the next couple of months, women's basketball and men's basketball, both underway and, and both picking up some big wins here early in the year. Uh, so let's just start on the women's side of things. You look at back-to-back wins and five of their last six after three and two start. And a couple, you know, games early in the season, you know, the loss to Drake in particular, I think people were very surprised at, but they seem to have turned it around last couple. Well, and that Drake loss is the big one. Both programs are 7-3 and three right now. The women are off to that 2-0 and start in Big Ten play, but Creighton loss, Virginia Tech loss. You're losing yeah. to two ranked teams, especially playing at Creighton with as much was on the line. Both the teams were in the top 25 at the time, but the Drake game just from start to finish just that they didn't have it in it at the same time. I mean, thankfully they have bounced back from it, but when you're sitting at three and two early for a team that has tournament expectations, yeah. it uh, it made you kind of wonder where this team was at and how they were going to respond to that start. And obviously last night with Wisconsin, I mean, you couldn't have scripted a much better start to finish uh, domination of the game, I would say, especially with Jazz Shelley, yeah. thir- 31 points on it. So Definitely. And I mean, you, you look at the the depth that they have so far and, you know, last year, I think that was kind of one of the issues and seems to be a little bit better this year. Also, I mean, it's worth noting that Sam Hybe, you think she's going to be out for the year and, you know, she's back in the fold too. So that that's a big, big pickup for the team to have her out there. Well, and last night, speaking of the injury bug, I mean, they were without Isabella Bourne, yeah. who was, uh, through the first eight games was one of their biggest playmakers down low, especially with uh, Jazz getting her the ball and going to work. You got the little Australian connection going there, but... I mean, Sam, at the start of the year, they were able to overcome it. Now the question is, with and obviously the status is he's up in the air, if this is a long-term issue, how are they going to bounce back and keep going here? For sure. But, I mean, you, you look at the start to conference play, which I always think is kind of interesting. The, the split the, schedule? Yeah, the yeah. Big Ten, you know, play two conference games, you know, have three, four non-conference or whatever, but... You know, like you said, Jazz Shelley, 31 points. It was a, a 30 plus or about a 30 point win as well. Uh, so, I mean, that's a that's a pretty good way to start things off. Yeah. And, and especially at home. I mean, 
They've been good in, uh, at PBA this season, and obviously you start conference play, that momentum. Now, granted, you're going to have that Christmas break. Like you touched on, you've got the split schedule, but you beat a good Wisconsin team right off the bat there. Hopefully it can really be a good shot in the arm of confidence for this team going forward. Yeah, without a doubt. And we'll stay tuned to all the, the women's team action, of course. But Jordan, you've been mostly focusing on the, the men's basketball team. And, you know, going into the year, I think it was a, everyone knows it's a big year for Fred Hoiberg and this team. Some people saying this might be his, his most talented roster yet. I mean, we're only 10 games into the year, but do you get that sense of things? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. I, I think there are a lot of question marks with this team coming into the year. You look at the transfer portal. Yeah. You add Sam Griesel, Emmanuel Bandemel, Jawan Gary. The hope is that these kids are going to come in not only on the court, but change the culture, help bring that group together, which, I mean, by all indications, they have so far. And from Fred's standpoint, the verdict's still out. I mean, it's, yeah. it's December 8th. We're, we got a long way to go in the college basketball season here, but you get that signature win against Creighton. You've got a Purdue team coming to town this weekend that if you can somehow pull off that upset and knock off a couple more in Big Ten play, I mean... Like I said, there's a long way to go with this team, and they've just, last night, different story, but coming off of three straight wins, there are some things that want to give you that sense of belief, but we'll really see how they put it together here. And I I do think, I mean, the pressure that, obviously Fred, but the team as a whole coming into this season, Mm -hmm. you do have to feel that. You've got a mix of the Portal kids, you've got Derek Walker coming back, you've got this experience that it's there for this team to go on a run. And you hear him talk about, um, especially last week, Derek Walker's going into this stretch of three straight games against top 10 teams that we got to focus on us. We got to handle what we can. They beat Creighton. They go on the road. Now coming into Purdue this Saturday to close out that stretch, I mean, th- this will probably be their biggest test of the season so far, just strictly based off the opponent. But if they can, like I said, if they can pull this off, Big if, let's throw that in there. But if <laughs> yeah. they can, going into the rest of Big Ten play, uh, the team's got to be at least feeling good going into it. So Yeah. I mean, if we wind back the clock a little bit and, you know, look how the season has progressed, you know, I, I think the big question was, can they string wins together? Can they beat the teams that they have to? And then, you know, can they be competitive against the teams that they're not favored in? So, I mean, you, you look at the start of the year, beat Maine, beat UNO. And then the the really rough kind of second half collapse there against St. John's, but but first I got a question here, UNO, uh, that the athletic department they keep going they keep trying to call it Omaha. I've always felt it was UNO. I mean what you went there? Yeah. I mean, what what <laughs> what did you think? I, I I hear both ends of that spectrum. I mean I, I get uh, on the Omaha side of yeah. it more of the marketing side of that. Yeah. Uh, sure. when, when you've got Omaha playing out in the East Coast and there's a team with UNO across its chest, it's kind of hard to uh, link that to the yep. school. But I do get that. Obviously, you've got some of the traditional uh, purest UNO fans, if you will, that grew up around <laughs> yep. it, especially on the hockey side, which is what I had been accustomed to the last few years, that they, uh, it, it's UNO through and through now, personally. I'm fine either way with it. I kind of think they're interchangeable with it, but with the Omaha aspect of it, I, I guess that's where I would lean more so towards, and I, I do get the uh, the intention behind it, and at least at least so far, you've seen that athletic department the last few years go through so much of a shift that it seems like it's been for the better. So yeah, just a, just a little sidebar, yeah. <laughs> something that keeps irking me all the time, because like I said, I mean, I I grew up knowing it as UNO, and last few years you know it's it's all been omaha so well in the in the basket the basketball program too i mean kind of a different note but you get chris crutchfield in there as the head coach of that program it seems like that momentum is going in the right direction for him i mean simple stuff like that you wonder how big of a difference in terms of recruiting and Mm -hmm. getting your name out there as a school in the national standpoint especially being a summit league school you you need as much help in some of those situations as you can get that i mean i uh I, like I said, long story short, I get the intention behind it, and I get the, where they're going with it. Yeah. So branding, branding matters, yeah. especially in this uh, twenty twenty two college sports. Yes, yes. <laughs> without a doubt. So I mean, back to the the men's basketball team. Sorry about that that segue. <laughs> hey, but... that's what our fans came here for, right? <laughs> that's right. This is this is the only only content that you get when when Jordan's on the pod. So um, yeah, that I mean that that loss against St. John's. I mean, first half they were very strong. Second half just completely different and 
They need, really needed to bounce back, beat Arkansas Pine Bluff, which is not a great opponent, but they needed that. Yeah, and, and I guess two parts of that. One, with the non-con, each year under Fred, they've had kind of that, uh, that trap game, if you will. I know it was mm -hmm. Western mm -hmm. Illinois last year, that at least to get through the start of this season, I know they were the 2-0, the which became 3-1. and There was St. John in between. To take care of business in those games, I think, was good, especially for this group with the new faces coming in, to get off get off on the right foot but you go back to that St. John's game the uh it, after the Creighton game the big question was what if what if Derek Walker was in that game That's you right. see the impact yeah. Nebraska goes into the half I mean I, I don't think you could have scripted a much better first half for Nebraska obviously the start of that game at St. John's was rocky back and forth but you're going in with some momentum some confidence you're playing in a road building you come out of the second half and uh on the opposite end of that, I don't think they could have imagined a much worse start to that. And then once St. John's got rolling, inside especially at the paint, there was nothing Nebraska could do to stop them, and which goes back to Derek Walker. Mm -hmm. And I know we'll talk about it here in a second, but that just completely changes the complexion of that team with the way they're able to run their offense, the way they're able to control the paint. And uh, St. John's took advantage where they needed to, and obviously... Nebraska walked out of there with the loss, so it's 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 done it in the past, and at least up until last night, this team had responded really well. So sure, and I mean, you know, that that St. John's game also really important because I mean that was the first power conference, you know, team that they'd played, yep. first road test yeah. of the year too. Mm -hmm. So I mean, you, you know, you, you take care of business against these mid-major, low-major teams, but can you beat the power conference teams? And they had a few of those games, you know, over Thanksgiving. Lost to Oklahoma, lost to Memphis before beating a relatively poor Florida State team, you know, compared to their usual standards. But those three games, you know, back to back to back, teams love playing these because they give you that experience, you know, especially if you're looking to be a team, you know, conference tournament, NCAA tournament, going to need to be able to play those games back to back. But, you know, also some, some different looks, different games that they had there, um, what what would you kind of make of the Thanksgiving Invitational? Well, and to go to before they even went to Orlando there, I know Fred Hoiberg talked a bunch about that was, and you just said at that stretch, you've got three games in four days. This is the first true test for this team to see how they would handle that type of workload, that environment. Obviously, it kind of came full circle this past week and still ongoing now with uh, Creighton, Indiana, Purdue back to back to back. Mm -hmm. Early on in the season, though, and I mean, let, let's be real, even after that Florida State game, you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt. We're not talking about a, a world-beating Florida State team by any yep. stretch of the imagination, but just to come back out, especially with that St. John's game and put together in a, in a really dominant second half was probably the biggest takeaway from that weekend. And you, you hope, obviously, it's just one win in the grand scheme of things, but early in the season not only on the court, but a weekend like that can really bring that group together, mesh them. A win is a great thing, obviously, just to give them that confidence and sense of belief heading into it. But at least in hindsight, you kind of started to see a turning point with the team coming back home after that. And uh, I, obviously, a one and two start or one and two finish in that weekend isn't what you want. But at the same time, just to come out of that with some type of momentum, I think will really serve this team well heading down the stretch here. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think just looking at the way that they played before that and then the way that they've been locking in on defense afterwards, yes. it was, you know, it, it's maybe a little like too simple to say something clicked, but, you know, it was like they finally picked up a little bit of that steam, a little bit of that traction, you know, to get going and, Big time home win over Boston College. Again, power conference team, probably not the top of the ACC by any means, but 20-point win at home, I mean, that's that's exactly what the doctor ordered, right? Yeah, and I mean, they scored 51 points in the second half of that Boston College game, but on your point about the defense, it's kind of funny. When they were in Orlando, the, uh, the Saturday off day they had between the Memphis and uh, Florida State game mm -hmm. there, they actually changed, changed some stuff schematically, but especially defensively in, the, uh, in their hotel and put, put some different packages in place, which obviously made a difference in that Florida State game. And um, you come into Boston College, it's close at the half. And right away it's, okay, here we go again. Going back to that St. John yeah. game meaning. Mm -hmm. And just firing on all cylinders out of the half with it. Um, I want to say they shot 68% or something close to that in the second half there and really started to control the paint, which started to set the trend for the next three games there with BC, um, 
and then leading into Creighton with controlling the boards and obviously defensively, we'll talk about it more here, but you look at Bandemol and Gary, they got the black shirts for a reason yep. after that. So For sure. And I mean, that, that Boston College game, Kese Tomonaga, 23 points. <laughs> Our Chris Basnett was chucking laptops, pounding Mountain Dews. That's his favorite player, R- Tomonaga, by the way. <laughs> ripping the jerseys off the shelf everywhere right. you could after that one. People, people were going crazy, uh, both here and, of course, overseas, his, uh, his loyal fan base. But the Boston College game, sets up, you know, the, the big rivalry game. Yeah. <laughs> the game that Creighton has dominated. Creighton got a top 10 team, national championship aspirations, probably the most talented team that Greg McDermott has had at Creighton, and they put up a stinker. And you could say all you want about, you know, Creighton, you know, having played these great teams, you know, the week before, shooting probably one of their worst performances of the year. But at the same time, I mean, Nebraska harassed them all game long. Yeah, and, and especially, I mean, on paper, you look at it, Creighton and won 10 of 11. Nebraska hadn't won in Omaha since 2004, and their last regular season win wasn't since 1995. Mm. I mean, everything was there from a, uh, from a mental standpoint coming into that game to be defeated before that game even tips off. And I mean, right away, you got to give Nebraska credit for the way they handled it, especially the first 10 minutes of that first half. Yeah. Just punching back anytime Creighton had an answer, kind of sucking the life out of that building. And especially, I mean, you talk about Creighton's talent. You look at a Ryan Kalkbrunner, Nemhard. I mean, matchup-wise coming into that game, you thought right away Nebraska was going to have headaches in terms of matching mm-hmm. up. And that goes back to Derek Walker once again with the way that they were able to really really set the tone for the rest of the game. They come into halftime, and I, I want to say Creighton uh, – five minutes or so into the start of the second half, had it down to a one-point game. And just right after that, Nebraska really started to pull away and take over. And, I mean, Sam Greasel's the story of that one. Absolutely. Derek Walker yep. also. But a guy, and Fred's talked about it this week, Jawan Gary, you really have started to see the impact that he's had there. And especially in terms of uh, defensively around the glass, I know we uh, we jinxed it going into last night. They had out-rebounded six straight opponents. They saw that stretch end last night there, but they really took it to Creighton, all things considered in that game. Yeah, I mean, your point about Jawan Gary, to me, he kind of feels like the all-around player, you know, the, the guy who you're not saying, oh, go out there and score 20 or like, you know, do whatever. It's just, you know, hustle, play good defense, you know, make a few shots, make the right passes. I mean, he does all that stuff really well. Yeah, and and also to go back to their defense, and I mean, you said it yourself, there are stretches that game that I don't think Creighton could have fallen out of a boat and hit water with some of the <laughs> shots they were taking, but it's Nebraska's defense kept everything to the perimeter. Yeah. They didn't really get a chance to get comfortable in their transition going up and down the court with it, and then when they did, Gary and Bandemol were right there to stop them, and whether it was blocks, forcing turnovers, I mean... Uh, Box score-wise, there had to be a lot of happy faces on that Nebraska bench looking down at the stat sheet at the end of that game there. So Definitely, definitely. And, you know, after a performance like that, you know, there, there's always going to be a little bit of, I don't know, leveling out or, you know. The emotional yeah. hangover, as I lovingly say with it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah. And, I mean, especially when you've got two more top 25 teams, you know, to play in your next two games. So, Last night, 81-65, uh, number 14, Indiana Hoosiers defeat Nebraska. Not as good shooting, not as good defense, but were, were there still those encouraging signs for you? There, there were as the game went along, but to go back to it, the big thing is uh, 90 minutes before tip-off when, when you find yep. out your heart and soul player. And if there was anything the Creighton game really proved, it's how much that offense, obviously Derek's a big part of that, but how much at the top really runs through Sam and from a leadership standpoint, he's kind of a glue guy with that team chemistry-wise. When you lose him, I mean, Nebraska's offense, they got down 10-2. It became 20-5 to pretty early there. Never really looked comfortable. And, I mean, the starting five was mostly the same intact. I know uh, yeah. Casey Tomonaga goes in for Sam Griesel there. But just it, it didn't have the same flow or really function mm-hmm. to it throughout the game. And they were never able to respond from that. So they did have a couple runs. Don't get me wrong, especially there in the second half. Uh, they, they did pull it within seven twice, made it interesting. But Assembly Hall, talented Indiana team. Trace Jackson Davis did Trace Jackson yeah. Davis things. Sure he re- records yeah. a triple-double, the uh, third in Indiana's program history, and really really made it tough life for Nebraska to get much going at the offensive end there. Well, 
I'm going to pose a question. Usually during football season, we'd always do a, a Husker hot topic. This is a relatively hot topic, but fairly simple. Who do you think is more impactful, Derek Walker or Sam Griesel? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. I, they, I, they, they both it, have it, made it, such a big impact. I, I would say in different aspects on the court, I would lean towards Derek just with the way you see teams having to kind of adjust away from the rim right. and, and yeah. avoid the pressure and defensively too. Um, Derek's been able to make an impact in terms of controlling the big guy. And I mean, even Jackson Davis, yes, he does have the game, the game that he does last night, but for Indiana's offense as a whole at times, Walker's impact was still able to shift around the stuff they were doing. I mean, Derek's first two games, he had back-to-back double-doubles. You see him. Pretty he, good. <laughs> he, you, put, you put the shoulder into yeah. a guy and drive to the rim. There, uh, there aren't many guys on Nebraska's roster that have that impact as Derek. Now, on the flip side of that with Sam, I mean, you look at the experience he brings in here from North Dakota State. You got that tournament pedigree. You've got the local aspect of it. He understands his program. I mean, just strictly from a culture guy. When you hear him speak at press conferences and throughout the week, it's no surprise he has the impact that he does in that locker room. So uh, I, I know I'm giving you a little bit of a long-winded uh, <laughs> answer on, on both aspects yeah. of that. But I, uh, I, I would say in, in different ways they impact um, the team. and They impact the team in different ways, but obviously at the same time they're both really big pieces of this team on the floor. So Yeah. Personally, I would say Greasel just from – he's kind of like a floor general out yeah. there. I mean – he passes, he rebounds, he scores, he does it all. But at the same time, I mean, you look at how the team played before Derek was on the court and how they play That's now. That's what makes it tough, like, yeah, especially yeah. going back. And, and Sam, too, at the same time, I mean, especially those first two games in Orlando and St. John's as part of that wasn't, uh, and I think he'd be the first one to tell you, wasn't exactly the performances he wanted. And at the same time, you see without Derek, it makes you wonder how much of an impact having Derek on the floor contributes mm-hmm. to Sam being able to what he's been able to do yeah. these last few games. And especially that Creighton game, when you've got two threats, I mean, you see it last night, Indiana, in, in an essence, is able to really zone in and key on Derek, um, eliminate that threat, whereas the Creighton game, you've got two guys going for it, that plus Bandamol, plus Gary, all these supplementary pieces. And even last night, C.J. Wilcher has a career-high 22 points heading into Big Ten play. If you can really get all these guys firing on all cylinders, it uh, well, you'll ask me this question again, and I'll have even more answers that they're at you. So. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Well, they, they will need all those guys to be uh, firing on all cylinders, as yes, you said. Saturday. <laughs> up next, number four, Purdue, comes to town. 9-0, arguably the best team in the Big Ten. Uh, they're going to be a, a major contender this year as well, and they're off to a great start. Yeah, and even last night, I mean, like Fred said it himself on his post-game show, you go from different aspects of the high. You're coming off that emotional win. Creighton, you've got to put it in the river mirror coming into Indiana. Now how is this team going to respond? Obviously, mm. they went through that in Orlando a little bit, bouncing back, but you've got a Purdue team, 9-0. I mean, a lot of people at this point have got to really think that they're the favorite or one of the favorites in the Big Ten coming into it. Home game recruiting weekend for uh, for multiple sports going on that everything is in place for uh for nebraska to really have the ability to bounce back now at the same time purdue's not going to make that easy so yeah absolutely well i'm i'm glad you mentioned recruiting uh that, that'll probably about do it for the hoops talk <laughs> for now because a lot a lot has happened in football in the last oh i don't know Eight days since <laughs> Amy and I sat here and recorded a feels like Matt Rules it feels like coach. eight years yeah, at this rate. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, this the way that transfer portal and the early signing day have changed December. December is arguably the craziest month of college football, and games aren't even happening for the vast majority of it. So, just want to recap a little bit of of what happened on the football side of things. Um, decommitments. These are always going to be something that happens when a new coaching staff comes in place just because guys have great relationships with the old assistant coaches, all sorts of you know reasons for these, these different players. But a few big ones in particular, Lincoln East wide receiver Malachi Coleman uh, was among the first to decommit. And in particular, that's one because of Mickey Joseph. His status still uncertain, everything going through the legal system. Nebraska hasn't hired a wide receivers coach yet as well. So, I mean, that, that's a major thing to consider. 
Marion Miller, also wide receiver, decommitted from New Orleans, heavily recruited by Joseph. So those two make a lot of sense. Well, well, in the relationship aspect of it, and you said it yourself there, but I mean, a lot of these kids in some of these situations are almost committing more to a coach yep. than a school, just for that fit. With the obviously, there's so many different factors that go into recruiting, but when you've got that comfortability, that familiarity with the guy, especially Malachi, I mean. Even when he committed here, all, all the writing was on the wall, how big of an impact Mickey Joseph mm-hmm. had had over the last few months with him. And uh, you look at today, Syracuse is coming to talk to him, uh, Tim Brewster from Colorado, that it's it's open season. It's college football free agency, <laughs> essentially, with the transfer yeah. portal. But, I mean, you never say never with these kids. There's always that door open for them to come back. But at the same time, especially once Matt, had just taken the job when so many assistants were still up in the air. These kids don't know what their immediate future is going to hold. Granted, you always have that option to come back, but if you dip your toe into the portal, you can see what else is out there for you. Yeah, and I I will note in particular for Malachi, he will be taking an official visit to Nebraska this weekend, Um, still working on building that relationship with Rule and the new coaching staff. But just with an eye towards, you know, what what are my other options yeah. and, you know, looking at those it, other places. And that position coach aspect of it does make it tough. And, mm-hmm. I mean, even I, we'll talk about him in a second, but you look at a guy like an Ernest Hausman, that Barrett Rude's impact, not only recruiting trail, but when you spend that year with him coaching you up, you get that comfortability. He's your guy, so to speak. But on the other end of that, you're going to have that coach that's going to be willing to go to bat for you. Is gonna he he he's got a piece of the pie, obviously, since you're the one that recruited the kid. Now he's out the window. How's that new coach gonna impact and fit into my game type of thing is what those kids have to go through their heads. So Yeah, for sure. And the other two decommitments, by the way, running back Arnold Barnes. Uh very easy to see why this one happened. Yeah. Brian Applewhite <laughs> flipped him from Tulane to to Nebraska. And now that Applewhite's no longer here, Barnes will be looking at his other options. And then arguably props. Perhaps the uh, the biggest, most shocking one, uh, Pierce tight end Ben Bramer uh, decommitted from Nebraska, choosing to go to Iowa State instead. And this one was uh, an interesting one, but I think from my perspective, it's easy to see why it happened. When you have a year, a year and a half to build relationships, as he did with Scott Frost, Barrett Rude, Sean Becton, his position coach, I mean, he was the first commit in this 23 class. He committed... 18 months ago, those were the guys that he's been talking to. Also, Iowa State been making a late push perhaps in the last you know, year or so, just from a sense of you know, building those relationships, talking, trying to get him out to campus for a visit. So Iowa State's been there. I think you know, Nebraska was always his first choice over that period. But when you have that coaching staff change and suddenly you're looking at a coaching staff that you've been building these relationships with for over a year versus you know, a week really is, is where we are right now. I mean, that that's why the decision was made to go to Iowa State. Yeah, and I, and I think you hit the nail on the head with that one, but it goes back to those two big words, comfortability and familiarity. Like, you're going through that process even though it was a Nebraska commit. The, uh, the pen hadn't hit the paper yet that uh, Iowa State was still kind of looming in the shadows, if you will, and he did have that open communication at the same time that, I mean... The new coach or new coaching staff comes in. There's a lot of question marks up in the air. I'm not entirely surprised by it, but at the same time, it's uh, it leaves a dent just knowing how long he's been committed here. You've got the local aspect, and yep. Nebraska kid, all the ties with it. That it, uh, I'll be interested to see how the uh, how the rest of the class adjust accordingly to that. So. Yeah, for sure. And on the flip side, uh, a lot of new offers have been going out. <laughs> And I, I do a, mean a, a lot. lot. <laughs> yeah, not just, I mean, of, of course, the 2023 class is the focus right now, but there's a view towards the future. They have been offering 24, 25. And even today, I saw a 2026 quarterback. Kid's a freshman in high school, and he's getting all these scholarship offers. But hey, when, you, when you're a blue chipper in the making, I mean, that's... Uh, it's making us feel old yeah. when we see 2026 <laughs> kids pop up. That's right. But the one commitment that Nebraska has landed so far... Uh, Bay City, Texas athlete Bryce Turner, one of the nation's top sprinters, and a guy that most schools were looking at as a track and field athlete. Nebraska, in particular, had had a conversation with him, uh, offered him a partial track scholarship uh, to run here. But as I got on the phone with him and got the chance to kind of talk about how it played out, basically, he got a call 
from Nebraska, from his track coach saying, hey, you, would you be able to play football here? Are you willing to do that? And he said, oh, yeah. So they connected him with defensive backs coach Evan Cooper and basically offered him a scholarship. An hour later or whatever, he says, hey, I'm all in. So, you know, just getting the chance to talk with him, I was like, you know, are, you're such a good track athlete. I mean, were you always wanting to run track or were you wanting to play football? And he said he, he wanted to play football, and this was uh, the right opportunity for him. Yeah, and we'll talk about another, uh, speaking of track athlete with Jalen Lloyd, Jalen Lloyd here locally. Um, the athletic part of that obviously gives you options on the football field from a coaching staff standpoint. And to go back to the other thing you touched on, looking towards the future with Matt Rule and this staff starting to formalize and be in place here, it gives these kids a little bit more of a sense of uh, security, if you will, of yeah. who's going to be here for the next few years compared to uh, committing to a coaching staff where your head guy's on the hot seat type of thing. That I do think with Turner, I mean, at least he he's now going to be linked as the, the first, if you will, <laughs> with it throughout that entire cycle. But I mean, uh, going forward here, hopefully the first of many for Matt Rule and company to get in place here. So, yep. And I mean, the, uh, the early returns along the recruiting trail, uh, just speaking about conversations I've had with high school coaches and um, other people, I think a lot of the coaches are appreciative that Rule has been focusing a lot of the in-state um, you know, schools and, and recruits because, yes, you got to have that national view. Nebraska has to recruit nationally, and there's a lot of talent you know, just within that 500-mile radius or the other recruiting hotbeds that they've been focusing on. But the relationships for the long term is something that Rule has been focusing on. You see that he visited three Lincoln High Schools in his first week on the job. He's been out in Omaha. He's been calling coaches all over the state. So that starting, goes a long way. Starting in the backyard. And and it's, I mean, it is neat to see. Uh, you see Matt Rule on Twitter. He's, he's going up to Norfolk. He's going out to Scott's Bluff and the Panhandle and stuff. You see him playing ping pong with Maverick Noonan's mom. Uh, obviously, all these in-home visits with it, at least right away, and, and I'm sure you can attest to this too with him, at least everything is pointing that he's hitting all the, hitting all the check marks and, I mean, especially building those relationships yeah. that are really going to help not only with coaches but school administrators, family. That stuff's all going to have a trickle-down effect here in the next few years, at least is the hope from their standpoint. Yeah. No, without a doubt. I mean, it doesn't, this stuff doesn't guarantee that you're going to land any specific recruit. It's just about doing things the right way or, you know. And setting a foundation yeah. more than anything. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And you, you look at kind of the long-term view, of course, of where they're recruiting. Running backs coach E.J. Barthel, he's been the guy recruiting the East Coast, particularly New Jersey, kind of Pennsylvania, the Northeast quarter of the country. Uh, defensive line coach Terrence Knighton and defensive backs coach Evan Cooper have been recruiting heavily in Texas. And, and those are the areas. I mean, Rule said it in his introductory press conference. I mean, New Jersey, Texas, 500-mile radius, you can go to Florida, you can go to the South, you know, whatever, but they're really looking at Texas. A lot of Texas recruits have been offered in that Northeast corridor where Barthel's familiar with. Well, you look at Rule's footprint, especially from the Baylor ties, that yeah. obviously the, the, the Texas comes as a no-brainer, but even going back to something Mickey Joseph said multiple times over the last few weeks of the season, you've got to go get guys to have them come here. you got to build those footprints, whether it's Texas, the Northeast, the Southeast for that matter especially for Nebraska, you need, like we touched on, that 500-mile radius, the in-state kids. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you've got to go go find the athletes, go find the diamond in the rough. And I know Rule, you hear about the pedigree of being able to develop kids. The hope is you can bring some of those kids late in the uh, early signing period, get them signed, bring them up here, and then uh, see what they turn into over the next few years here. So Yeah, definitely. I mean, these, uh, these early returns, I think just – just show the, the long-term strategy. Uh, but in regards to this 2023 class, Friday is a very big day. And it, in particular, I mean, the weekend, it, it depends how long the, the players can stay. But it is an official visit weekend, not just at Nebraska, but across the country. Recruits are going to campuses. They're going to see the facilities, talk with coaches, meet the other recruits too. It's very, very important just in, in regards of building those relationships, the guys who you already have committed making sure they're locked in. And of course, a lot of big targets, guys that are still uncommitted, uh, will be in attendance. So just a brief rundown. I'll have the I'll have a full story, journalstar.com. You can check out all the different recruits visiting, but six of the current commits will be in attendance, including all four of the in-state guys, Sam Sledge, Gunnar Gatula, Brock Knudsen, and Maverick Newton. 
Uh, wide receiver Jaden Doss and linebacker Dylan Rogers will also be there. But we look at these targets, and this is kind of the, the question you have. You get these guys in the building. It's very important. First week, I mean, it's some of these guys have a lot of options where they could go. So going to Nebraska on this first week, I think it shows there's a lot of interest there. Malachi Coleman, as you mentioned, wide receiver Jalen Lloyd from Omaha Westside. Another Westside kicker, Tristan Ovano. Three of the in-state guys. Let's just start there. I mean, Coleman, everyone knows him. He's a big fish. He was committed. As I mentioned, he has those options. He'll explore those. But Lloyd, in the, within the first 24 hours, he got that offer. And it's the same thing as Turner. He had, Lloyd had it down to a top four track schools that he was thinking he was going to commit to. All of a sudden, that commitment ceremony gets bumped off. He gets this football offer, and now it's it's decision time. I mean, does he want to play football? Well, and I mean, I guess to group Alvano into that too, and obviously Coleman's a little bit of a different situation with him being here, decommitting, and still the future being up in the air. This weekend, now granted, these coaches are making their rounds. They're going to do the in-home visits, even speaking to Dylan Rogers. You see the staff meeting with him on Twitter and pictures showing up. This is their real first chance to make that strong first impression with that big official weekend visit you're going to have all these kids together i mean you you know it in a lot of these situations it's a domino effect of these kids yep. what are they seeing what's the vision of this program going forward lloyd um malachi tristan alvano in that group you want to stay in your backyard or do you want to see what else is going on and obviously you look at a kid like malachi You've got Deion Sanders just taking over at Colorado. You're going to have all these other coaching hires that coaches are going to be in that speed mode to go out and see, uh, see a kid like that. Now, Lloyd's the interesting one, and especially for me watching him at state track this past spring, the raw athleticism that kid has, especially uh, jumping-wise, sprinting, you, uh, when you've got a coaching staff that prides themselves on development, if you have someone that has that type of intangibles, at least – on paper that you can bring in options are endless of what you turn yeah. that kid into. And especially at wide receiver looking for any threats that you can get on the field. That's a, it, it's a big target. And like you said it yourself with his ceremony, kind of that situation getting bumped, you obviously know Nebraska's got to at least be one of the front runners and in the picture that this is a, this is the chance for Nebraska staff to really deliver the seal of approval on the kid. And you would hope if, uh, if Lloyd commits here, maybe his West Side teammate would like to follow in the footsteps with it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in regards to Alvano too, um, Cole's kicking, which is the the biggest like national kicking camp, yeah. yeah, like recruiting service for kickers or punters. They have Alvano ranked as the number six guy in the nation for the class of twenty three. So you get an in state guy like that. I mean, you really got to lock him down. Is is the goal? And initially, Nebraska's kind of strategy under Mickey Joseph was they had, you know, offered him a scholarship in the future. If he can come in, win the starting job, they say, hey, we'll give you a scholarship. Then all of a sudden, Alvano kicks five field goals in the Class A title game, 45-yard game winner, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, you, you got that scholarship offer. We don't, yeah. we don't want you to leave. So kind of the equation for Alvano now is transfer portal. Are there any big schools that lose a kicker all of a sudden and they need to go you know, refill him from the high school ranks, get a, a kicker with plenty of potential. So he's been in discussion with quite a few schools, um, but knowing that he has that scholarship offer from Nebraska, big recruiting visit weekend, you know, we'll see if he's able to kind of discern where he's at, but his process will, will take a few more weeks to play out, I think. And, and you and I have talked multiple times, uh, scholarship offers, especially what he has uh don't grow on trees for kickers, obviously, yep. and obviously the the state championship game performance is one thing, but you look throughout the year, both the accuracy and the distance that the kid has in his leg, it's no surprise he's rated as high as he is and as many schools are interested. And, I mean, Nebraska, over the past few years, kicker's been a little bit of a revolving door, if you will, <laughs> you can at say times. That. You can say that. And yeah. uh, that might be a little bit of an understatement there, <laughs> but with... Tristan Alvano looking at the potential opportunity that's in front of him, especially with the amount of kickers that have left here at Nebraska here in the past couple of weeks to hit the portal. I mean, it, it's definitely got to be an interesting decision and the chance to stay at home. Now, granted, each kid has his own stuff he's going to look for in the uh, recruiting process, but I'll be very, uh, he's one of the more interesting cases for me of their potential recruits they're looking at this weekend. So definitely. And just briefly to run through some of the other out of state visitors, 
Running back target, target Quentin Ives. He's a, a Barthol recruit. He'll be here. Former Nebraska commit uh, Cameron Lenhart from IMG Academy. He's back. He got reoffered. <laughs> he's still in the mix. Got to love recruiting where stuff like this happens where he's committed, he's decommitted, could commit again. The, the fun ones are the ones that uh, flip their commitment two or three times and then end up at three schools over <laughs> the course of their college career. Yeah. And a, an, another big one, too, by the way, tight end Andrew Metzger. He'll be here for an official visit. He's the teammate of current Nebraska commit uh, Hayden Moore, linebacker for Regis Jesuit uh, in the Denver area. That's a big one because Nebraska doesn't have a tight end in this class right now after Bramer decommitted. Uh, so they'll see if they're able to land him. And then three different portal targets will be in town. Defensive end Elijah Judy, Texas A&M transfer. He was a four-star recruit, redshirted last year. A lot of potential for him. Offensive lineman Johnny Cornelius, one of the highest-rated offensive tackles in the entire nation. Look this up today. Ranked number six by PFF as the best lineman, or best tackle, sorry, I should say, last year, ahead of the all Big Ten guys like Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern, Paris Johnson from Ohio State. So he's a big target, especially when the quality of offensive linemen in the portal is, is pretty limited. Well, and especially if you look at what Nebraska on paper, now granted, it, it's interesting with the amount of kids that either dealt with injuries or freshmen coming into the program offensive line um, for going into next year. And obviously there's no guarantees that everyone will be back. But you look at the potential, and we got news uh, with Donovan Raiola, obviously, in regards to the staff at that position, that at least, once again, we're going to go back to this, but knowing what's in place from a from a position coach mm -hmm. standpoint will make an impact this weekend. But I'll, uh, it it's definitely... Whether he comes here or not is one thing, but the fact to see Nebraska in the discussion yeah. has got to be a promising sign for other uh, transfer targets this offseason, too. So, mm -hmm. And the last portal target, this is an interesting one that we learned today, quarterback Jeff Sims, Georgia Tech transfer. Uh, he will also be attending this official visit weekend, which, again, you know, this is not a, a case of where, oh, he's visiting, he's definitely going to commit. Sims will have a, other, a lot of other schools that are interested in him, uh, but I think it's, it's an important one because you look at how Nebraska's quarterback situation is right now. Five scholarship quarterbacks, but the big Casey Thompson, I mean, is he coming back? How's his health? It's hard to say. And given the way that the backup quarterback situation unfolded over the rest of the year, I mean, it, it would be smart for Nebraska to, to bring in a new quarterback regardless, but... Sims, that's a guy who's been a starter. I mean, that's not a that's not necessarily a guy who's coming in with the expectation of being a backup. Well, and the experience factor of that too. Now, granted, Casey's status is still up in the air for next year, but I mean, you could just as equally as much put a question mark over the Logan Smothers, Chubba Purdy, what the yeah. rest of that quarterback room looks like. And if you're a Richard Torres or someone else in that room that sees the writing on the wall of the guys that are ahead of you, there's no guarantee that your, uh, your, your scholarship quarterback number might drop a little bit more over the course of this offseason. We saw it. Putting the ball through the air was a struggle, <laughs> to, to say the least, when Casey wasn't here. If you can get a guy, now, once again, you said it yourself, he's not coming here with the expectation of being a backup, but if looking at this past season for Nebraska, you you see the opportunities are going to be there for a kid coming in here. So it's uh, he, he'll, have, he'll have other options for sure. We'll put it that way, yeah. but at the same time, once again, just to have him here for the weekend, potentially leave that impression, it's, uh, it bodes well for Nebraska staff. So. Yeah, what I'll be interested to see is because there's a, a very plausible scenario where, say, in a month from now, Casey Thompson has surgery, and he decides, hey, I'm just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just going to hang it up. If Nebraska hadn't made those connections, you know, if they hadn't hosted quarterbacks, I mean, they, they could be screwed at that point. So th this move to me is, is maybe an insurance move, or maybe just an indicator that the staff really likes Sims. Well, and another wrinkle to throw in there, you look at this staff that's in here, none of them have a familiarity with Nebraska's court, current quarterbacks. Sure. None of them recruited yeah. them. They didn't bring Casey in through the portal. Obviously, there's, a, there's not that sense of attachment to the guys that if, whether it's Sims or anybody else for that matter, if there's a guy that they like, I mean, never say never <laughs> on some of these kids. And at the same time, at the other end of that, never say never, some of their current quarterback options are going to hit the door. So, Definitely. Well, I, I mean, this is only just part of the, the recruiting craziness. Um, just want to touch on staffing very briefly. 
Um, just in today, a, a couple hours ago, Nebraska's hiring former Syracuse defensive coordinator Tony White uh, for the open defensive coordinator position. That's a national report. Um, and that, that's an interesting one because we've seen with Matt Rule's assistant coaching hires been very, very focused on guys he's worked with, guys who have been recruiters. And White fills the recruiting aspect of things. Um, he, he worked as the recruiting coordinator at San Diego State for six different years. But you look at his experience, he was at Arizona State, defensive coordinator there. Syracuse been the DC for the last three seasons. So a guy who's not been a rule associate, but kind of still fits the mold of what yeah, he's and looking he, for. He, he's, he's been around the block, I guess we could say with it. And I mean, especially uh, you look at the past regime with it and, and this staff for that matter, with a lot of these assistant coaches, there's so many unknowns. Now, granted, they might have even look at a Mark Whipple coming in last offseason. They've got the track record. They've got the pedigree. But to Nebraska fans and people that haven't paid attention, that aren't watching Syracuse on a weekly basis with it, you don't really have that full feel for the guy yet. That uh, it'll it'll be interested, like you said, it does fit the mold of what you can at least tell from the outside looking in of what rules trying to get in place with his assistants here. But uh, this one came came a little bit out of left field, I guess you could say to some. So yeah, and young young assistant coaches yes. is something he's looking for too, especially in the recruiting trail. Yeah. White, by the way, 43 years old. Um, so, yes, he, he fits that mold. Wide receiver coach still not officially filled. We'll wait on that. Uh, as you mentioned, Donovan Rayola appears to be staying on as offensive line coach. And then two more hires that have been reported, not officially confirmed by the university, but Jake Peets likely to be quarterback's coach and Rob Dvoracek likely to be linebacker's coach. So we'll look forward to the uh, official confirmation on all those and see who he brings in as wide receiver coach. But... The other big aspect, as I mentioned, the transfer portal, it's been going crazy. The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at the COVID year of, of eligibility, all the extra things going on, 1,000 entries in the portal since things open. No, that's not just from Nebraska. That's everybody uh, nationwide. 14 entries for Nebraska in the portal. Um, we've got all the, all the stories up on journalstar.com, but four kickers, uh, quite a few offensive and defensive linemen, this is something you see across the nation, um, a lot of those positions. But in particular, I think some of the, the ones to focus on, um, DeColdis Crawford, guy with a lot of potential, but Mickey Joseph recruit, it makes sense. Jacques Yant brought here, had a, a big game, never really translated. I mean, it makes sense why guys like that leave, but the one that had everybody shocked, freshman linebacker Ernest Hausman, Columbus native, pride in Nebraska, played it every game as a freshman year, and he hits the portal. Well, and it's crazy. Like, I mean, you go back to the two you just touched on. Yant has that big game. He becomes the name around here, obviously, being the, the big prototypical power back that doesn't hit the field that everyone thinks should be in there on on every third down in the Big Ten type of thing. You look at a DeColdis Crawford. I mean, it's probably best known for the uh, the heating and air commercial around the state. May, with it, it. may it forever but, live on. But yeah. the uh, <laughs> just, I mean, in, in his situation too, going back to his big of a name recruit, it left people hungry for more with the uh, the potential that never really came to fruition here. And obviously he was dealing with injuries and everything else along the way. But yes, Hausman is the big one. I mean, we go back to the Michigan game and a bunch of us were writing after it that the Michigan game is obviously a little bit of a sign of the times of where Nebraska is currently at as a program that looking ahead, Ernest Hausman is one of these building blocks yep. toward the future. Three weeks later, you don't know if Ernest Hausman's ever going to hit the field again in a Nebraska uniform. And it's, like you said, you've got that local aspect. You saw how much he really grew throughout the season. And I think that's what makes it hurt more Yeah, is, I mean, you had a kid that played the first couple weeks, rode the bench, and then just came back and, I mean, absolutely took the Big Ten by storm in a few of those games. I want to say the Michigan game he had, like, 13, 14 tackles, mm -hmm. um, Wisconsin, Minnesota, he made an impact in both of those games. And at least from the outside looking in, you got the impression he genuinely liked being here. He had that connection with Barrett Rude, which again goes back yep. to Barrett Rude's going to be out the door. You don't know if what this kid is going to connect out with the uh, new position coach, with the new coaching staff. And I mean, once again, the door's still open, but at least, uh, at least all indications, uh, the grass may be greener on the other side for him with how he's looking at it right now. Well, this, this is just the, the landscape of, yeah. of modern college football. It doesn't matter. You could find a diamond in the rough. 
you could find a guy who's no stars, no offers, no nothing. He has one big year and, and suddenly, you know, 20 schools want him. And that's not just something that Nebraska has. I mean, FCS schools, smaller FBS schools. I mean, it's just the case if you have a standout with years of eligibility remaining, it's it's very easy for them to to find a better option in the portal. Well, and on the other aspect of that too, I mean, <laughs> there there's Ernest Hausmans at every school around the country type yeah. of thing that are going to hit the portal that, yes, at least on paper, you're going to have the the local aspect. Columbus kid, he comes here, everyone's got that sense of attachment right away. But you might have the ability for Matt Rule and his staff to go out and get an Ernest Hausman type of player to come here and not just at linebacker, but at other positions and fill those roles. So, mm-hmm. And the other ones, too, um, that I thought were kind of interesting, defensive back Jaden Gould, freshman, got, played the field a little bit. Um, he's transferring, as well as edge rusher Jamari Butler, again, played a little bit as a freshman. So those are the kind of guys where you're thinking, hey, you know, they saw the field. Clearly, they've got some potential that the coaching staff has identified. You hope that that experience, you know, helps them build up at Nebraska, but instead they'll do it elsewhere. So, And, and I would say Butler's another one of those kids that, I mean, kind of goes back to uh, Hausman at the start where you see the name keep popping on the depth chart. You hear the assistant coaches talking about him as a potential guy to emerge throughout fall camp that you sit there throughout the season like, okay, potentials here we're going to potentially see this kid on the field and he'll get out there and and leave you waiting for more type of thing but at the same time you you don't know his situation with how how happy he is with the playing time aspect that i mean mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure he wanted a bigger role than what he got at certain times of this season so you uh you, you never know the different factors that go into it but he's definitely there's definitely several su- uh, surprises on this list but i would throw him in that uh upper echelon if you will so Yep, for sure. Well, I, I think we've about exhausted ourselves running over all this football craziness. Of course, touching on basketball and everything. So, And we'll have 37 more portal <laughs> entries right. next week. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for, for next week's episode. <laughs> Life <laughs> in the portal. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. But um, yeah, I appreciate all of you tuning in today uh, to hear a little bit of basketball breakdown. This will not be the last you've seen of Jordan. He will be back, of course, to, to break down the men's basketball season, some big games coming up. They got that event. What do they call it? Locked in at the vault? The bat, Battle of the Vault. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, that'll ne- be an next interesting Tuesday. One, so. So. Yep. So some uh, exciting times coming up in Husker Athletics. Like I said, craziness happening every day in football. So stay tuned at journalstar.com for all the updates. But for Jordan McAlpine, appreciate all of you tuning in. I've been Luke Mullen. Thanks for listening to Life in the Red. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.